Good morning, Trinity Baptist Church and guests. I'm glad you've chosen to join us this morning uh, at 10.30 this Sunday morning. And I'm looking forward to our Bible study today in Genesis chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you turn there. Uh, this last week, in fact, just in the last few days, I received a couple of different uh, emails from some of our missionaries. In fact, a couple of men that actually grew up here in Trinity Baptist Church. And uh, uh, Brent Berge, a missionary, and his wife, Selena, to uh, South Africa with their children, uh, starting an orphanage there. And then also the Schultz family, uh, BJ and his wife, Kathy, both growing up here, uh, missionaries to Tanzania. The U.S. Embassy had actually contacted them via email uh, recently and was strongly urging them, really telling them that everybody needs to be coming home. That's their strong recommendation due to the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. And so decisions are needing to be made around the world by missionaries. It's affecting, of course, everyone, uh, not just us here in the States. So I would encourage you to be in prayer for them. Uh, the Berge family uh, did come home, they're home already in North Carolina under a 14-day quarantine uh, in the home. And, uh, and then the Schultz are still in Tanzania and praying uh, and asking God for his direction um, as the U.S. Embassy is really leaving it up to them what they should do. As I was reading those emails and uh, realizing that the confusion and the fear that really is wrapped around the entire earth is not just affecting us here, but it's affecting people everywhere all around the world. Um, a question came to my mind, and the question was, who's in charge here? Um, who's, who's making these decisions? Uh, do they have the right information? And what decisions should the Schultz make? And what decisions should the Burgies make? And what decisions should we make? And all of these different things. I was reminded of a passage of scripture in Genesis uh, with a 17-year-old boy by the name of Joseph who could have asked the very same question. Who's in charge here? And of course, Joseph, as we know, was born into a very dysfunctional family. Uh, his father, Jacob, had four wives, and that would be dysfunction. Uh, a man with four wives would certainly be dysfunction. And of those four wives, he had multiple children, a number of sons and some daughters. Ten of those sons for Joseph, ten of those sons, his brothers hated him seriously and uh, really disdained him. And I want to look at this man's life, Joseph, this morning. We might ask the question, well, who is in charge? Um, who's making the decisions? Are the decisions that are being made the right decisions? Are we doing the right things? So here's Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And I, I have to remind you, and you might know the story well, and some of you have never heard the story of Joseph, but I have to remind you that all of the circumstances of Joseph's life uh, were a part of God's plan. And God actually used sinful brothers, hate-filled brothers, to accomplish his plan. And God used the obedience of a 17-year-old boy in Joseph to accomplish his plan. And God used some very passive parenting, and I might even say poor parenting on the part of Jacob, to accomplish even his plan. You know, God is not limited by the decisions of men. Uh, God is not limited. He still accomplishes his plan. And I want to encourage you this morning to trust the Lord, uh, to be confident in him. Uh, there are consequences for our decisions and our actions. Wrong decisions and wrong actions, sin leads to negative consequences. Obedience to the Lord and obedience to his word leads to God's blessing and God's reward. Uh, but regardless of right choices or wrong choices, God is still in control, and he's still on the throne. And you know, because God is in control, and because God is able to do what he wants to do with what belongs to him, you and I can let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we can be enriched in everything. Think about that. We can be enriched. It can be for our benefit, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, For all things are for your sakes. 
Think about that statement for just a moment as we're getting to our passage in Genesis chapter 37. Think about that statement. For all things are for you. For, they're for your sakes. And that means no matter what decisions are made, no matter the virus and no matter who it affects, no matter the hardship, the heartaches that come with life, or the joys and the pleasures of life, God can use all things, everything, for our benefit and for his glory. Now, I want to answer a question this morning. How are we supposed to navigate through challenges in life? This certainly is a challenge. Uh, people out of work, people being laid off, people, uh, some ill, some not so ill, some very ill, even unto death. Um, confusion, fear in our nation, fear in our state, maybe fear in your home. How are we supposed to navigate? What are some keys that could help us navigate through fearful times or hard times or burdensome times? And when I look at this passage in Genesis chapter 37, I find really there are three keys that I notice from this passage that will help us navigate through, through difficulties in life. And I want to share them with you this morning. First of all, uh, the first key is that we are to obey God in adverse circumstances. We're to obey God in adverse circumstances. In fact, obeying God during adverse circumstances is part of his plan. He actually uses this to accomplish his plan. Look with me, if you would, at Genesis chapter 37 in verse number 12, and I'll read down to verse number 14. It says this, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said unto Joseph, his son, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he, the father, Jacob, sent him, his son Joseph, out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. You know, Jacob, when I read this passage, just those few verses, Jacob, the father, is obviously, he was obviously concerned about his sons, and so he decides he's going to send his favorite son, Joseph, to visit uh, his wayward sons, his disobedient sons, and to see what they were up to and how they were doing. And obviously, Jacob cared about his sons. But I have to say, when Jacob chose to send Joseph, his son, to visit his other sons, his brothers, um, he was really sending Joseph into a very, very difficult situation. He was sending his son, his 17-year-old son, Joseph, to a group of men who were older than him and a group of men who hated him, a group of men who despised him. We didn't take the time, but if you go back and read earlier in chapter 37 of Genesis, you'll find that several times it is said of Joseph's brothers that they hated him. They hated him. I don't know if you've ever been hated by anyone before. I suppose some of us have here and there along the way. I don't know, maybe you grew up in a home where your siblings hated you. But whatever the case, Joseph was in a very difficult situation. He was living in adverse circumstances. And whether it's Joseph in this kind of adversity or adversity that you and I are facing, one thing that we have to remember to do is we need to obey the Lord even in the middle of adversity. I cannot emphasize this enough. Joseph obeyed his father, even though it was going to mean adversity for him. And I can't help but notice, if you look back at verse number 13, the latter part, Joseph obeys his dad without reservation. He doesn't seem to hesitate. He doesn't seem to hold back. He doesn't hem or haw. Or he, he just says, look at the end of verse number 13. He says, and he said to him, here am I. Jacob's dad, or Jacob, the father, asked his son Joseph, hey, I want you to go visit your, your brothers in Shechem, the place of burden, a place of hardship, a place of toil. And, and Shechem really had uh, some very bad history for Jacob and his family. There was much that had happened in Shechem that was frankly awful. It was not a pleasant place. It was not a place of pleasant memories. But Joseph, he didn't hesitate to obey his father, even though it meant hardship for him even though he knew that he was going to men who hated him. The word Hebron 
and we read that in the passage already, means fellowship. Hebron was a place of fellowship. It seems obvious that Joseph enjoyed fellowship with his father. Um, when he was with his dad, Joseph was his father's favorite son. He was the favorite son. Who, who wouldn't want to be with other people who, who love us, right? We all want, we enjoy being around people who love us, who appreciate us, who enjoy our company, who laugh at our jokes, right? We enjoy those sort of uh, companions, the people who love us and adore us. And so it would have made sense for Joseph to want to stay with his father in Hebron. It was a place of fellowship. It was a place of rest. He says there, uh, he sent him out of the vale or the valley of Hebron. That is, he left the rest of Hebron to go to a very dangerous place. And his father was willing to send his son. Jacob was willing to send his beloved son to go to his brethren who hated him. There really is an underlying picture in this passage, in this story, and this is a true story that took place, but there really is an underlying uh, truth here, and that is this, that God, our Heavenly Father, sent his beloved Son to a sin-cursed earth uh, made up of men and women who hated God, and many still do hate God. And yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see as we're reading through this passage, there's a picture of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Shechem was the place, though, where Joseph was going. And it was a place of bad memories for Jacob. It was a place of bad memories for his family. It was the place where Jacob's daughter, or, uh, Jacob's daughter Dinah, had lost her moral innocence. It was the place where Simeon and Levi, his Jacob's sons, had lost their moral integrity, and they had actually slaughtered the men of Shechem. And it was to this dangerous place, a place of bad choices, a place of hardship, a place of grief, it was this place to which Joseph was coming. And yet, quickly, Joseph says at the end of verse 13, here am I. I don't know anybody who is overly willing or desiring to go to a hard place, to go to a place of trial, to go to a place of hardship, or to a place, a place of burden. And I might ask us the question this morning, how do we respond when God's plans for us lead us into difficulty? How do you respond when, when God's plans for you lead you into hardship, and maybe grief, maybe heartache, and maybe um, to be rejected? or lied about, or, or scorned, or hated. And again, most of us don't face these things on a daily basis. But how do we respond to God when His plans actually lead us into adversity? None of us chose this COVID-19 to come. None of us desired for it. Most of us had never even imagined anything like this was possible, or the hardships financially upon our nation, and upon our state, and upon our friends and family. None of us would have desired this, but I might ask again, how are you responding when God allows hardship and grief and heartache and concern into your life? Joseph, I noticed in the passage, was dedicated to doing the will of his father. And you and I ought to be dedicated to doing the will of our Heavenly Father. Jesus was dedicated to do the same work. He was dedicated to do his Father's will. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus says this, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. In Psalm 40 and verse 8, Jesus, uh, the, the truth of Jesus' heart is spoken this way, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And really with great abandon, Joseph was resolved to do the will of his father. Look at verse number 14 in the passage, the very end of verse number 14. It says there that Jacob sent him, Joseph, out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And he leaves the place of fellowship with his father to come to the place of grief and hardship. You know, Joseph's obedience immediately was, was met with adversity. I think we're all facing some adversity in different ways during these days in which we're living. Adversity as a nation, adversity as a state, adversity as a church family, adversity in families, within families. 
how are we handling it? Do you have a burden? Do you have hardship? The Bible says here that Joseph came to Shechem, and the word Shechem means shoulder, and it gives us the idea that Shechem was the place of burdens. And Joseph left the comfort of Hebron and all of its fellowship to willingly come to the place of Shechem to begin to carry a burden that was not his own. God had a plan for Joseph, but Joseph was going to have to carry a burden that was not his own if he was going to accomplish God's will. And you know, we're, I'm reminded, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. To the church at Galatia, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill ye the law of Christ. I can't encourage you enough during this time, be a burden bearer. When you hear of another who's hurting, another, one who's, another person who's struggling, someone who's afraid, facing different fears, and all of us, I think, to differing degrees are facing different fears, different levels of concern. Some are very concerned about the virus. Others are not concerned about the virus at all, but are concerned about the economy. Or maybe not so much concerned about the economy, but concerned about liberty. Whatever the fear, be a burden bearer. You know, we're living in a day where we're really in a great position to bear one another's burdens and to be like Christ, to be Christ-like. In fact, Joseph is a perfect picture of what Christ did for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, it says this, who his own self, speaking about Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. In Isaiah 53, we're told that he hath borne our griefs and that he has carried our sorrows. So Jesus was a burden bearer, and the burden that he bore was actually coming to the sin-cursed earth and becoming our sin, uh, taking our place in judgment, taking our sin upon his sinless shoulders and being judged for our sins. He bore burdens that you and I could never bear, and God hasn't called us to bear burdens in the exact same way that Jesus Christ bore our burdens. We cannot bear one another's sins, but we can bear burdens. We can encourage and comfort and console and speak truth to one another. And we can carry one another's burdens, and we ought to be doing so. I can't help but noticing here that Jesus continues to be the burden bearer for all who will come to him. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus said this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is the ultimate example of how we should serve our Heavenly Father. We, like Joseph, should be willing, like Jesus, we should be willing to do the will of our Father, to obey Him, immediately, without reservation. And a time of adversity, adverse circumstances, is a perfect time to obey our Lord and our God and our Heavenly Father. So how is it that we're supposed to navigate life and trials and adversity? Well, number one, obey. Obedience is part of God's plan. Secondly, remember that God is still in control. Remember that God is still in control. Even during adversity, God is still in control. Uh, this is something I think that's lost to many of us. When, when a blessing comes into our lives, we're quick to say, praise the Lord, or wow, God is so good, or isn't it amazing what God did? But when adversity, when we're faced with adversity in our lives, sometimes we're prone to, well, what, worry and fret and anxiety and fear and and it's almost as if in our minds that God is no longer on his throne, that God can no longer handle the situation or the circumstance. But I want to remind you this morning that just because we're facing adversity, God is still in control. Look at the passage, Genesis chapter 37, and look at verse number 15. And I'm going to read down through verse number 20. So Jacob, remember, has told, asked Joseph, I want you to go to your brethren that are in Shechem. Uh, Joseph is ready to obey, and he does. And look at verse number 15. 
It says there, And a certain man found him, found Joseph, and behold, he was wandering in the field. Apparently, Joseph was lost. I, I find a little bit of humor in that. He didn't know where his brethren were. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now notice this in verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. I already told you that they hated him. Now, think about this, what, what you're reading here in this passage. Joseph here, he's 17 years old. He's his father's favorite. He's on his way, just doing what his father has asked him to do. He, he's wandering around looking for his brethren. Some man helps him. He's on his, Joseph continues. He perseveres in obeying his father. And he, and he sees his brethren afar off, and they see him afar off, and they hate him so much that they actually begin to talk with one another out loud about killing Joseph, about killing him, about murdering him, about taking his life. Look at verse 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." You know, the picture of Jesus is obvious in this passage. It's obvious in this passage. Uh, in John chapter 1 and verse 11, the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You know, we need to be careful not to blame other people when we're in times of adversity. It's easy, I suppose, right now to blame you know, well, we're quarantined in our home. Stay home, stay safe. Uh, we, we can't meet as a church, 250 people, or, or then it was moved to 50. You know, I think it's easy to get caught up in uh, finger pointing. You know, sometimes this happens in the workplace. You know, well, I would be doing a better job if my coworker was doing a better job. Or I would be a better employee if my employer was a better employer. Or maybe the employer could say, you know what, I'd be a better leader, I'd be a better employer if my employees would just follow. I want to warn you, beware of finger pointing. Joseph here is in this overwhelming, overwhelmingly hard situation. He's coming to his brothers and they hate him. But you know what? God was still in control. God was still in control. And you, I wonder when Jacob sent Joseph. I wonder when Jacob, earlier up in the passage, back in verses 12, down through verse 14, when Jacob the father came to his son Joseph and said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to, 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 to find your brothers and find out how they're doing and bring back a report to me of how they're doing. I wonder if Jacob had any idea that they were going to hurt or that they wanted to hurt his son Joseph. I have to say, I really don't think Jacob had a clue. I don't think Jacob would have ever have sent his son Joseph to his other sons who hated Joseph so much if Jacob had really thought that his sons hated him as much as they did. And can I take just a moment, and I want to say a couple things about parenting this morning. You know, Jacob, as a father, really failed to understand, to fully grasp where his children were. And I might call this passive parenting. You know, he kind of just let them do and become whatever and whoever they were going to become. He, he just kind of observed. He was aware, kind of aware of where they were, but he never really did anything or didn't do much about it. He really failed to know his own children. And I think it's a sad state, but I think things haven't changed a whole lot in all these years. It's important for us as parents, and I'm speaking to parents this morning as well as children, and if you're a young person, maybe, maybe nine years of age, or maybe you're in your teen years, uh, you ought to be aware of this as well, but I'm speaking to mom and dads primarily. But as parents, we need to know our children. We need to understand uh, the wicked human heart that each one of our children possess. You know, passive, uh, passive parenting really is the model left to us to, to consider in the life of Jacob. He was a passive parent. 
And, it, and that's the model he's left for us. But it didn't work for him, and it won't work for you or for me either. Um, I'm reminded of a couple of things about Jacob's passive parenting. I, I'm reminded that he didn't do anything when he learned of Reuben's immorality. He didn't do anything. He just let it go and kind of shrugged his shoulders and, and kind of thought, I suppose, well, you know what? That's just, that happened. But he didn't do anything about his son's immorality. I'm also reminded that, that Jacob, as a father, didn't respond when his sons Simeon and Levi lied. And when they took the lives of the men, they really slaughtered the men of Shechem. And, and Jacob, as a dad, didn't do anything about that. Now, we don't see Jacob taking any course of action when, when Joseph brings back an honest report about his brother's evil actions. You know, passive parenting didn't work for Jacob as a dad. And it won't work for you or for me either. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15 says this, The rod and reproof give wisdom. There's a lot I could say about that. It's not talking about abuse. It's not talking about physical, physical abuse in any way. The Bible would be completely against a mom or a dad physically or emotionally or verbally abusing their children in any way. But the Bible does teach corporate, corporal punishment in a proper way, in a non-abusive, loving way. And why? Well, the rod and reproof give wisdom. It actually leads a young person to being wise. How many of us parents would like our children to grow up, and as they grow up, that they would grow up into being a wise young man or a wise young lady? And by wise, I mean someone who, who has knowledge but knows how to use that knowledge in a way that pleases God, in a way that God can honor. How many of us would want our children, and I have four of them, how many of us as parents want our children to be to be able to be blessed by God, to be protected from mistakes, uh, uh, life-damaging mistakes, because they are wise. You know, the Bible says the rod and reproof give wisdom. But then it goes on to say in that very same verse, in Proverbs 29 and verse 15, But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. That's what Jacob did. Jacob kind of left his sons to themselves. Just go on, live life however you want. Uh, just go ahead and make the decisions that you want. What do, what do you want? He might have asked his sons over and over again. What is it that you want? Just do what you want. Follow your impulses. There must have been a, la a lack of correction, a lack of instruction, a lack of leadership. And Jacob was a passive parent, and it led to so much regret. You know, as parents, we, we cannot afford to be passive. As parents, you need to know who your children's friends are. You need to know who, who, you need to know the parents of your children's friends. You need to know who your children are texting or where they're at on social media, and you need to be involved. You say, well, I don't want to be that parent. I don't want to be the killjoy. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the parent that sucks all the fun out of everything in my child's life. You won't. You're a parent. You're a parent, and someday you and your child can be friends. Your children can be friends, you can be close, and you can be close, and there can be an element of friendship today, and I hope you strive for that. But your number one responsibility, and my number one responsibility as a parent, is not to be the friend of my, my sons, or the friend of my daughters, though I think they would say I am, and I think that I am. But you know what, my number one responsibility is to be a parent, to be a dad, to be a leader, to be a protector, to bring wisdom into the equation where they lack wisdom, to give instruction, to help them in discipline, to protect them, and to help them grow to be wise people who fear the Lord. So you ought to be, and I ought to be active, not passive, in training up our children. Let's get back to the passage for just a, for the remainder of our time this morning. So what happened to Joseph? You know, I can imagine Joseph, as he, he's approaching his brothers, you know, he's wandering around for a while, and he gets on the right track, finds out they're in Dothan, he, he continues following, and finally, there they are, and they see him, and I wonder if he knew what they were thinking. I doubt it. I think he knew that they hated him. I don't think he realized that they were plotting to kill him. 
But here comes Joseph as he approaches his brothers, and maybe he called out to them and greeted them on behalf of their father and told them, hey, Dad wants, you to, wants to know how you're doing. How are things going? Look at verse number 20 and see how much, though, his brothers resented him. And not just him, but they resented God's plan. Look at verse number 20, the latter part. It says this. It says, some evil beast hath, we'll say this, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. We'll see what will become of his dreams. Now, I'll, I'll remind you that those dreams that Joseph had dreamed were of God. Those dreams that, that, that Joseph had dreamed were the dreams that God had given him. They actually were prophetic. Uh, Joseph was a 17-year-old. He wasn't Reuben. He wasn't the oldest in the home. He wasn't the, the firstborn, the one who was going to be the heir of all uh, the wonderful benefits of his father. Joseph was the 17-year-old. He was the one who was disdained. He was, frankly, not going to be amount to anything. But God had some very, very special plans for Joseph. Look at verse 21 in our text, and I'll read down through verse 24. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. Now they're talking and saying, hey, let's kill him. And Reuben steps in and says, let's not kill him at the end of verse 21. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid, uh, that he might rid him of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben steps in and he, said, and he understands, hey, these, my brothers want to kill him, so we don't want that to happen. So he says, hey, throw him into the pit. And Reuben has this plan that, you know what, we're going to throw him into the pit and I'm going to come back later. I'm going to free him from the pit so that he can go home to dad. Verse 23, and it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. I got to tell you at this point, and if you know the rest of the story of Joseph, you know that there's coming a day where he's going to be the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And his brothers are actually going to bow down at his feet. And they're not even going to know who he is. But he's a long way from that right now. They rip off his coat, the coat that his father had given to him. They throw him down into the pit. And there's no water in the pit. There's nothing to drink. He's alone. He's hated, he's despised. This is an adverse circumstance. But you know what? God was still in control. There was nothing Joseph could do at this particular time in his life. He had done what his father had told him to do. He'd been obedient. He was where God wanted him to be. And it was an incredibly difficult, hard situation. A situation that none of us would ever want to be a part of. But God was in control. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 12, it says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. In other words, when a man or a woman has goals and ambitions and dreams, but those ambitions and those goals and those dreams continually seem to be set aside. I mean, God had given these, him these dreams about how he was going to be a leader. And how he was going to have authority and he was going to have power and he was going to be able to deliver and all of these wonderful things. And his brothers were going to honor him. God had given him these dreams, but nothing could be further from those dreams. And here he is in the bottom of a pit, stripped down from the honorable cloak that his father had given him. And he's all alone. I'm reminded that Joseph isn't the only man in the Bible who had great expectations for God to do great things through him, only for all of their dreams and aspirations to collapse around them. Do you remember Moses? Moses saw himself as the great deliverer of Egypt, didn't he? When he was 40 years old, he tried to take up the cause of the Israelis while they were in slavery in Egypt. He actually killed an Egyptian in doing so, had to flee for his life. And God took him to the backside of the Midian desert for 40 years Moses was 80 years old before he realized what God had in store for him. I'm reminded of David, who was anointed king. He was anointed to be king over Israel when he was just a teenager, but he found himself hiding in a cave for his life and living with the Philistines. 
How about the Apostle Peter who experienced uh, unmet expectations, uh, hope deferred, when he drew his sword to protect Jesus, only to find himself huddled by a fire a few hours later. And from his own lips, Peter cursed Jesus and denied him three times. Maybe I'm speaking to some this morning, and you understand this truth in Proverbs of hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Maybe your heart is sick. Maybe your heart is grieved. Maybe you began this year and you had goals and ambitions and expectations and they were financial or maybe they were traveling or, or maybe it was in serving the Lord in some specific way. And you know what? God, using this virus and using the fear within our nation has just kind of set those hopes and those dreams and those aspirations aside. And things that you expected to be happening right now are not happening. I want you to remember a truth. God is still in control. There's one last truth and we'll be done this morning. How are we supposed to navigate life and the challenges of life? Well, number one, obey God. It's part of God's plan. Number two, remember that God is still in control. And number three, and finally, understand that God uses trials for your good. You know, God uses trials for our good. If you're a child of God, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you need to know this truth. And it needs to sink deep down inside of you. Because as you and I navigate life, there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be hardship, uh, hardships. There are going to be sicknesses. There's going to be death. There are going to be trials. There are going to be joys and pleasures too. But there are going to be some hard things as we go through life. Know this. Understand that God uses trials for our good. Now, I want, you to, I want you to read with me this particular passage as we conclude. Look at verse number 25, and I'll read down all the way through verse number 36. It says this, And they sat down to eat, that is, Joseph's brothers. They sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Isn't that terrible? Judah says, We don't gain a thing if all we do is kill our brother. I don't think he had a problem with killing his brother, actually. I think he was even more wicked than that. He wanted something out of it. Look at verse number 27. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. They were content. You know what? It, okay, we won't kill him. We hate him enough to kill him, but we won't kill him if we can get something more out of it for ourselves. Verse 28. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned into, under the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned and unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and, and I, whither shall I go? What am I going to do? Verse 31, And they took Joseph's coat and, they, and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And now this is Jacob, Joseph's dad, verse 33, And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him, sold Joseph into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and captain of the guard. Now, you say, Pastor Seth, you just said that we need to understand that God uses trials for our good. I did. And you might ask me, Seth, <laughs> where is God's good in any of the verses that you just read? I mean, Seth, none of this is good. They sell him into slavery. They lie to their father. They, they, they take the coat and they, they kill a, a goat and they, and they put blood on the coat, uh, the, coat, the uh, coat of many colors. They take it back to, their, to Jacob, to the dad, and they say, hey, is this his coat? I mean, these guys are manipulators and liars. They're so deceitful. 
They're so full of hatred and animosity. And by the way, not just for their brother Joseph, but for their dad too. It's terrible. And we might ask ourselves the question, where, where is God's good in any of what we just read? We can ask that same question the day in which we live. Where's God's good? How is, God's, how is God using this trial for his good? I want to remind you of a truth, and that is this, that the wicked actions of rebellious people cannot keep God from accomplishing his will. Did you hear that? The wicked actions of rebellious people cannot keep God from accomplishing his will. You know, God used the wicked actions of Joseph's brothers to accomplish his plan. Actually, God used their wickedness to exalt Joseph, to put Joseph in a position where Joseph could learn and grow and become the man God wanted him to be so that he could rule, so that he could reign, so that he could grow in wisdom. What good could God have possibly had in mind for Joseph? You know, God's plans for Joseph were a whole lot bigger than Joseph's plans. And they were a whole lot bigger than Joseph himself, because now Joseph was in Egypt, right where God wanted him to be, in Potiphar's house. Now, nobody could have seen this at the time it was happening, but God's plan was moving forward. And sometimes in our lives, we look around at the circumstances of our lives, and we look and we say, what good could possibly come of this? This is a mess. This is terrible. And sometimes we can even look in our own lives or in the lives of those around us and say, this is sinfulness or this is laziness or, or this is deceit or, or this is hate. How, what's happening here? Everything's coming apart. This can't be right. But God is still in control. And we need to be reminded today more than ever maybe in our lives before that God is still in control. You know, God had to move Israel Jacob, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. He had to move Israel and his family into Egypt. Hundreds of years earlier, God had told Abram, known as Abraham, God had told Abram that he was going to bring his people into a nation. And in that nation, God was going to grow the nation of Israel. And that God was going to deliver his people, the nation of Israel, out of the land and he, they were going to leave with much spoils. In fact, it's stated this way in Genesis chapter 15. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And Israel was. They were in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. Verse 14. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. That's exactly what happened. God told that to Abram hundreds of years earlier before Joseph was taken in as a slave into Egypt. 400 years after that, the people of Israel are going to leave Egypt, cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Dry ground. All of this was happening. And my point is this. This was all part of God's plan. This was all part of God's plan. And you know what? God has a plan for your life. And God has a plan for my life. And God has a plan for the United States of America. And God has a plan for this church, though we're spread out at this time. And God is accomplishing his plan. God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for your marriage. And God is in control. God is in control. I got to tell you, that's a very reassuring truth as I think about it in my own life. God was accomplishing his plan through Joseph's life. God is working and he's accomplishing his plan through our lives, through our president, through our governor, through the political leaders in our day, through the doctors in our day, through the different nations in our day and all that's going on. God is accomplishing his plan. Maybe you're still asking the question, well, who's in charge? Well, God is in control and God works and he worked in Joseph's life, and he's working in our lives. He worked in Joseph's life, in life in despite the wickedness of his brothers. He used that. The passive parenting of his father. The obedience in Joseph's own life. You know, when good and amazing things happen in our lives, we often say, wow, look what God's done. 
like when later on when Joseph is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, we all would be quick to say, wow, look what God did. But you know that God was as much in control when Joseph was in the pit, at the bottom of the pit with no water, as when Joseph was second, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. I don't know where you're at, where, where you're at here this morning. Maybe you're in a prime spot and everything's just going your way and everything's looking great. And you're quick to say, wow, God is so wonderful. Look at how he's blessed me with all of these things financially and, and all this good health. And God is in control if that's where you're at. But you know, God is also in control if you don't have good health. God is also in control if financially you don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead. God is still in control. Maybe this morning you might say, but pastor, what course of treatment should I take? Or maybe you'd say, pastor, how am I supposed to repair my broken marriage? Or how am I supposed to get through to my children? What, what action should I take in this financial situation? Well, here's my counsel to you. Joseph, there was no playbook for him except for this. Trust in the Lord and obey him. Trust in the Lord and obey him. No matter where you're at, no matter where you think you're at, trust in the Lord. Seek him. Obey him. And you will find that you are right where he wants you to be. Because God is in control. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this narrative in your word about this young boy, 17 years old, a man named Joseph, so far away from home is where we're leaving him, of being sold into slavery. He's in Egypt now. And yet all along, Lord, you were in control. And Father, I ask for your help for the congregation, though we're not gathered together as one. Lord, I pray for wisdom for our leaders in our country, I pray for grace for them. Lord, help them to make good choices. Lord, I pray for the doctors and the medical workers who are working in the hospitals, and as many are overtaxed. And, and then, Lord, I think of people who are not employed and they don't have income. And there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of unknowns. But, Lord, as I'm reminded in this passage in Joseph's life, just as you are in control in his life, you are in control today. And you make no mistakes. And you work through poor decisions and wise decisions, disobedience and obedience. Lord, you are not hindered by anything because you are God. Lord, thank you that in times like this, we know, though times may be uncertain and fear may be high, that there is a God in heaven who rules in the affairs of men. That there is a God in heaven who loves us and has given his son that we might have life everlasting. Thank you. I praise your name, and I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.